0: Welcome back to another episode of Confessions from the Sidelines. I'm your host, Sarah L. Cowart. If you're a high school athlete, parent of a high school athlete, or even maybe you know a high school athlete that wants to take their athletic game to the next level, you are in the right place. We know that that journey of becoming a college athlete isn't an easy one. And on this show, we talk about all the things that you need to know to take your athletic game to the next level. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to take a minute to thank our partners. Think about this. Have you ever finished class, finished school, gotten home, you sit down to do your homework and you get stuck on the first question. But when you left class, you were sure you had a grasp on the content, but now you cannot figure it out. Insert Chegg Study and Chegg Study Pack with 24 seven homework help. From algebra to calculus to physics to chemistry, you will have expert help and their monthly subscriptions start only at $14.95. But Chegg has been so kind to give all of our listeners $5 off their first monthly subscription. Head on over to chegg.com forward slash study and enter the code... Study 5, S-T-U-D-Y, the number 5, for $5 off your first month subscription. Now, on to today's episode. Today's guest is Chris P. Austin. Chris is an entrepreneur and owner of Championship Performance Advantage in Southern California. He's a five-year professional volleyball player, two-time Division I NCAA champion, coach, and author. And if anyone can speak to the challenges of becoming a collegiate athlete, it's Chris. So let's jump right in to today's episode. Chris, I am so glad that you could join us on the show today.
1: I'm super stoked to be here. Thanks for having me. Glad to get into it.
0: Yeah. So if you would, as everybody's kind of hopping on and listening, tell tell everybody about you, who you are and what you do right now.
1: All right. So I am Crispy Austin. For those of you who don't know me, I live in Southern California. I have... Uh, For a long time, been known as a professional volleyball player. So first on the indoor scene, uh, then a little bit on the sand. Right now, what I'm spending the majority of my time doing is working with humans on business relationship sports. So those are my three primary areas. Uh, I go around the country essentially and work with different businesses on maximizing their potential, building their teams, making them profitable. I work uh, with athletes at schools. And uh, people who aren't athletes at schools on how to maximize their confidence and be able to essentially pursue the things that they want to pursue. And uh, a lot of individuals and relationships, that sort of thing.
0: That's amazing. Now, how did you actually get into playing volleyball?
1: Yeah. So when I was coming up in Las Vegas, Nevada, I was born in Texas, raised in Las Vegas. Uh, I actually didn't have much success in sports. So in middle school, I got cut from my middle school team as a basketball tryout in seventh grade. Uh, I worked really hard that summer, what I thought was working hard, and uh, was really determined to make it in eighth grade, and ended up getting cut again as an eighth grader from the basketball team. So I was really looking for something to uh, be extracurricular, didn't want to spend a whole lot of time at home, so I started playing the drums uh, at the end of eighth grade, heading into ninth grade. So that's what I spent the majority of my summer heading into high school doing. Kind of as a last last stitch effort, I uh, tried out for basketball one more time and finally made the freshman team in ninth grade. In Las Vegas and playing uh, on the basketball team I ended up having a friend named Eric Bowman who essentially convinced me to go to the volleyball intramurals I knew nothing about volleyball at the time <laughs> didn't know the sport uh, and originally said that I didn't want to go but he told me that he'd buy me lunch uh, if I went to the tryout so I was going to get a free lunch out of it so I went and in honesty I wasn't very good to start I did not like it I wasn't very talented I did not have immediate success, but. Uh, he offered me lunch for a week if I was going to return. And I thought, you know, what, what the heck it's five more days uh, than I can leave this in the past. But over those five days, I started to get the hang of it a little bit, uh, entered some drills are pretty fun. And then the rest is history.
0: You know, I, my story is I didn't, play soccer up until high school, but my brother signed me up to play in ninth grade. So I, I feel how like you were, you were kind of going through that same thing, but you know, you experienced a lot of setbacks, like you were cut through multiple teams Yeah, and like, how did you respond to those setbacks?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question for me when I was coming, uh, into the eighth grade, I remember pretty distinctly, like I can remember it, uh, pretty vividly in my mind, making this excuse essentially of, oh, well, it's because I'm new to the area. Like I moved from Reno, Nevada back to Las Vegas in the middle of seventh grade. Mm. So in that first tryout, I was like, oh, I'm new. You know, they don't really know me. So maybe that's a reason. But then that summer uh, between seventh and eighth grade, where I spent a lot of time at the park trying to work on my game, I I really thought I was going to make it in eighth grade. Uh, And I was going to a school that was sixth through eighth grade. And so when I got cut that year, I remember kind of stepping back and just thinking to myself, like, maybe maybe basketball is not the thing for me. Maybe I should just try to find a different extracurricular. At the time, I didn't really take it as this huge blow to my confidence. It was more so the timing isn't right. But once I started to practice the drums and, and really spend time on that craft, that really helped me understand how meticulous detail should be when you Mm. go about things because music is something, whether you're a singer or, or a a person who plays instruments or somebody who produces, it takes a lot of meticulous hours to be able to master like even a singular song. So I started to look at sports that way. And I think that's a lot of the reason that I was able to kind of turn the corner once I got to high school and start making some teams and then make upward motion. Cause there wasn't a lot of change in me athletically. Honestly, it wasn't Mm. like I grew four or five inches. It wasn't like all of a sudden I was starting to jump, you know, a whole lot higher. It was like the way that I went about the process started to change.
0: Yeah. And you know, that kind of just reminds me, like we hear a lot of people nowadays talking about grit Mm -hmm. and like, you really showed grit in that moment, especially when you were learning the drums to say like, okay, this is what it's like. This is how to go through some of this now. And in going to that, like, was division one sports ever on your radar?
1: That's a really good question as well. It actually was not like the first time. And I remember this moment as well. The first time I ever thought to myself, I would consider pursuing this beyond today, you know, or beyond this year Mm -hmm. was at the end of my 10th grade year. It was the first time I had made varsity. I played varsity volleyball as a 10th grader and I, I was not on the court very often. I thought I should be by that point in time. Like that's where my confidence really started to flip. And I was like, okay, I'm putting in a lot of time. I'm putting in a lot of effort. I think that I should be, you know, able to have more on court time or more on court success. And that wasn't necessarily the case. Ironically, the guy, Eric Bowman, who introduced Mm -hmm. me was the same grade as me. He was the sophomore getting the nod to start more games. And at the end of that year, I said to myself, I'm going to make a decision to like really commit my time and effort into one singular goal for me, I wasn't at the time really interested in pursuing master's degrees and that sort of thing, although later in life I did. At that point in time, I was like, I want to be an athlete Mm -hmm. and I want to be able to do this at the next level. So I started to watch like the March Madness tournament for basketball. And I was like, it would be so cool to be able to play on that stage. And I thought to myself, like, why not? So let's go for it.
0: That's so amazing because you know, you could see the journey happening where like you weren't getting play in time, like you had these setbacks, but then you ended up, you actually didn't end up playing division one right away.
1: You're right. No, I actually went to the University of Hawaii as a recruited walk-on and I almost forced my way in. Like the, the way mm-hmm. that went down was as my senior year approached, I didn't have any offers. And I I had excuse me, I had offers from like NAIA schools but no division one offers. And so I was like pressing, pressing, pressing from an email standpoint. And Hawaii was the only people really like even entertaining my emails, not even to a point of like, hey, we want you to come. It's like actually emailing me back. And I said, I want to come on a visit there because I started to learn about the way official visits work versus unofficial visits. And they said, uh, they were basically like, you can come if you want, but you're going to have to pay your own way. And I was like, okay, I'm going to save for my job as we're going to in and out Burger. I'm gonna save it. I'm gonna get a plane ticket to Hawaii. And when I get there, they said they would like take care of like two days worth of meals. That's essentially like all they were able to take care of on my unofficial visit. And I said, I want to come here, I want to play here. And they said, Well, perhaps you could be a recruited walk-on. Um, and I said, What's that mean? And they were like, You'll pay your own way, but you're gonna be a walk-on. Like there's no scholarship kind of situation. I was like, Okay, it's D1 volleyball. Let's go. Yeah. So when I got to the University of Hawaii that year, the coaching staff had actually switched from um, Mason Kuo was the assistant and uh, the head longtime head coach had switched over to being Charlie Wade. uh, And so Charlie Wade became the next coach. And so when I came in, uh, I had to essentially retry out like as a person who wasn't even known by the current head coach. And I ended up getting cut from that team in November. So at the beginning of November, the tryout sheet was on the board. There was a line through my name. And I remember going back to my dorm and thinking to myself, if this was it, you know, for my volleyball career, if, like I should just pursue being a dentist at this point, or if I should go on to, to try something different. And I literally sat in my dorm for two days. Like I did not, I did not come out of my dorm for two days. And it wasn't like a depression. It wasn't like a, this sadness. It was like, I want to feel out this decision. I want to make sure that I'm making the right decision uh, because this is going to change my life. And so I decided I was going to transfer to Long Beach City College um, because at the time you couldn't transfer from a four-year to a four-year without sitting out a year. And I didn't want to sit out a year. So I transferred to Long Beach City College. And I remember my mom telling me, like, Chris, if you leave a four-year university and go to a junior college, like I'm not going to support that financially. And so I another challenging decision, but I made it. And so immediately I got to Long Beach. I got myself an apartment that was a couple hundred dollars a month. uh, Ended up trying out at three clubs to become a club coach, coach high school, Long Beach poly refereed on the weekends, ate top ramen and Eggo waffles for like six months. And just like felt the California volleyball lifestyle started getting gratiated, learned about Sam volleyball and uh, ended up playing at Long Beach city for about a year and a half. So that's really where my skills started to improve from the coaching by Randy Tutorp, as well as like time spent on my own. But That point is where I really was like, okay, I'm going to get back to division one volleyball. I'm not going to let somebody stand in the way of that happening.
0: Yeah. And what was that like? And that was those moments of you're like, I'm pouring everything into this and I've got to figure out what this next step is because I too played at a junior college and, you know, sometimes you've got to fill it out about what's that next step. Now I made the decision not to continue on playing after a major injury, but you had that opportunity to go to division one and play. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And for me, that story was pretty ironic. Like I've got some stories for people, but uh, (laughs) ultimately like going through that process to answer your question, it was challenging. Like, to think to myself, I'm literally coaching three different groups mm-hmm. in, in the same day. I'm starting the process of teaching private lessons. I'm refereeing on the weekends, which is about 12 hours of standing straight uh, and not really moving around, not exercising, just literal standing for 12 hours. And then also trying to compete as an athlete. So at this point in time, there was no like thoughts about recovery or normateching or anything like that. It was yeah. literally like pedal to the metal from 6am when I was going to Um, Belmont Shore to start trying sand volleyball to my 8.30 a.m. lifts in Long Beach City, go to class all day, get out of class, practice from one to three, leave at three, go have a practice from four to six, arrive to one late, six to eight, and then have a final one, eight to ten, go home, sprinkle in some homework for half an hour, uh, try to go to sleep by midnight, wake up at 5.30 and do it all over again. Like that was the process for a good year and a half of my life and then even beyond. But That grind is important, I think, for a lot of people who consider themselves as an underdog. If you go into a situation and you understand you're not at the top of the food chain, which doesn't necessarily mean you're at the bottom, but if you're not at the top of the food chain and you have a desire to be, you're going to have to do more than the people around you. And that's what I see most with the athletes who I work with now, whether adults or kids. Uh, I see mostly that overarchingly, there tends to be a little bit of a Hey, show me what I'm going to get out of working Mm -hmm. hard first, rather than let's put in the work and it's going to be a little bit of a mystery of where it ends up, but the process is going to be fun. So being able to find fun in the, in the grind is, is important.
0: Oh, it's so important. And, and I think what, you know, what culminates out of this whole story is like, you literally went from being the player less likely to come off the bench to being a starter setter for a national championship team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. At at the
0: division one level.
1: Yeah. And I had some fortune go for me that way. Like ultimately you hear a lot of people say this, like luck is preparation meeting opportunity. But for me, like when I got to Irvine, the the whole reason I got to Irvine was just fortune and I was pressing them and pressing them and pressing them. And originally they said, Chris, you're not going to play volleyball here. Hmm. If you want to explore being a, a student or excuse me, a student only and not an athlete, we may be able to help with the admissions process, but you're not going to play volleyball here. And I pressed and I said, like, I'm going to play volleyball at UC Irvine. And so what happened was a month later, I get an email that says, hey, Chris, our circumstances have changed and we'd like to offer you an official visit to UC Irvine. And at the time, I thought it was my boldness, you know, that that created that. But also, you know, there was a kid who was on the team who broke their drug contract uh, (laughs) and ended up doing, you know, something illegal. And so a spot opened up and it was the 11th hour and I could slide into it. And so once I arrived, I was literally the last person on the team in terms of experience, size, comfort, uh, any of those areas. And I'd like to say that it was just only like hard work over time made it happen, but that's not the case. Like is persistence. Like I was working hard and I got an opportunity early on and I kiboshed it like i remember getting on the court in preseason in this in this uh match where we were playing a korean team from overseas in our beginning of the year tournament and Mm. i ended up setting like four balls in a row that were all unhittable and got Mm. taken back off the court and so the next time i ended up seeing the court outside of being a serving sub was when a setter on our team ended up getting a concussion in practice but in the meantime like between that first experience where i did not have good results on the court to when that setter got a concussion, all that in between time was spent, like thinking about that moment that I wasted. Mm -hmm. And I said, like, if I ever get another opportunity, like, I won't be scared. I won't be nervous. I'm not gonna hesitate. I'm just going to be aggressive. And so that really changed the mold for me, you know? Yeah.
0: And, you know, and I hear you as you're talking about this, I hear the development of that confidence as you're coming through and you're thinking of like, what's that next move? How can I really make things happen? You know, I think a lot of times student athletes, like something bad goes their way or they get taken off the court or the field and they don't put in that extra work.
1: Yeah, no, I think that so much in today's current society, and I never want to put everybody in the same box. It's definitely mm-hmm. situational, but in today's society a lot of times you do find there's an excuse for why somebody's not having things go their way. It it was the coach, it was their teammate, it was the timing, it was the late notice, it was something else other than them being able to look at themselves and say, "I'm going to take responsibility for this situation how this goes." So, the people who I see achieve at the highest level in any craft whether that be sports, business, relationships, they Common denominator, the common denominator is that they take responsibility for what happens. Like, and that's such a big deal for me. I wasn't a person who always took responsibility in my younger years. And until the last 10 years of my life, you know, I would even say I didn't always take responsibility. But when you get to a point where you do understand the importance of taking responsibility, it's super empowering. Like it is super empowering to you being able to get to a new level, you know, beyond where you are now and then be able to influence others.
0: Yeah. And that's, it's so huge because, you know, as you're doing that, your confidence is growing. And I think a lot of times now we see players don't have that confidence to go out there. So kind of a two-part question here is, you know, how do players actually go about developing their confidence, whether on their court, the field, the mat, in the gym?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. So uh, most of my job now is helping people master confidence. You know, I, I have a book on it that's called become your best, uh, mastering confidence through six phases of quotes and notes. And it was created because I continued to run into people in the athletic spectrum and then the business spectrum, and then the relationship sector where they, they knew inherently that there was some kind of talent there, or there was some kind of drive, or there was some kind of desire to be good, but there was a big piece holding them back. They would spend hours and hours training or hours and hours in the office or hours and hours, like working on their relationship. And they wouldn't be able to find success. And the common denominator, again, to the people who end up at the top of the food chain is is they have confidence. They believe that they belong. They believe that they're good. And so in order to foster that and be able to create that, it is like anything else. It requires a process. You know, it requires a foundation. It requires a foundation you can return to. It requires a very specific approach for each individual. People have different insecurities about different Mm -hmm. things. But ultimately, To be able to master confidence, like it begins with awareness. That's the first phase of my six-phase process when I work with people. And, you know, we obviously divulge deeper into it with my live clients, but. Being able to have confidence is something that is within each person's mm-hmm. control. And that is like the biggest thing for people to understand. There's a lot of people out there who believe confidence is something you have to be born with, or they, mm-hmm. they will label themselves or label another person as if it has to stay well, they're just not that confident or they're not naturally confident, or they don't have what you have, or they don't have what this person has. But each one of us has the ability to master confidence. It just starts with having the desire.
0: Yeah. I think that's so pivotal, especially for these students who are listening and parents, if you're listening about how to help your student take this kind of to the next level, when you're really looking at these dreams of playing college sports, whether it's division one, two, three, or even, you know, NIA or junior college, like there's always an opportunity that's out there to really develop this confidence.
1: Yeah. Confidence is totally worth investing in. (laughs) That's the biggest thing that I tell people who are or hesitant about a understanding it's importance or B knowing it's importance, but not really having a solution of how to create it. It's worth investing in the same way. Having a private trainer is worth Mm -hmm. investing in the same way. Having extra repetitions, the same way, having a club team, like investing in your confidence, in my opinion is more important than those things, because what separates people who are close is confidence. Ultimately, it's not this person jumps 40, this person jumps 38, this person runs four, five, this person runs four, six. The thing that separates people is what happens between their ears. So it's definitely worth investing in.
0: Yeah. And, you know, and and nowadays it's not just about being the star athlete as you're going through all these recruiting processes. I mean, it's truly coaches are looking at all of these different avenues, including nutrition, mindset, academics and, you know, confidence plays a big role in the coaches and their conversations they have with students as well.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. And for having been on that side, you know, being a person who's coached at the high school level, the youth level, the club level, the college level and the division one college level. Every different level, the conversations are symmetrical.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: It's not all about, you know, how talented a person is, although in honesty, talent matters. So for anybody out there who believes like it, talent doesn't matter. Talent totally matters. And talent, unfortunately, does separate some people. But when the battle's close, like whenever the battle's close, the things that separate have nothing to do with talent or even experience or Any of those cliche things, it has everything to do with response, like Mm -hmm. the way you respond to stressful situations, the way you respond when things don't go your way, the way you respond when things do go your way, you know, all those sort of things like really come into play.
0: Yeah, uh, And that's so good for parents to hear, because I think a lot of times they get stuck in in the actual process of like recruiting and talking to these coaches and seeing all these things. And they want to know how they can help their student take it to the next level. And I think you laid it out perfectly, you know, from your experience, not only as a player, but also as a coach.
1: Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a it's a pretty cool space to be in to start to get to step back and watch like a lot of different people from a lot of different cultures and a lot of different ages and stages go through their process and, and be able to develop like a legitimate process that can help people. So that's a cool space for me to be in at this point is like, I've passed over from being just the athlete who's going through it. And then to being a, somebody who has to watch it, like in my early coaching days, but I'm right there in the process with them. Now, most often I'm actually kind of a step back getting to watch it almost like movie theater style and seeing like what works, what doesn't work. What are the common denominators in success? What habits push people towards the success that they desire? What habits take away and being able to develop a process where people can follow have like a building guideline that's been like the biggest change in my personal life. So I'm super happy to be able to help individuals, you know, expand there.
0: Yeah. And so say that there's a parent, some students who want to get in touch with you because they're super interested in hearing about this. Where do they go about to like finding you?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. So on all social media platforms, if they search crispy Austin, uh, my name, a middle initial last name, crispy Austin, they can find me there. I do answer DMs, So hit me up in the direct message. That's how you and I got connected. Yep. Uh, and then, Chris at crispy Um, I've got a whole team, you know, who, who works on all this stuff with me, but I'd love to get in direct contact with anybody who wants to, to become their best. You know, yeah. that's, that's what I do this for.
0: And then where can they find your book? If they want to just, start with something small there to start kind of learning yeah. those phases.
1: Yeah. So if you go to chrispaustin.com slash books, uh, you can get a copy of my first book, which is The Way, A Hawaiian Story of Growth Relationships and Volleyball. That story is about the most successful youth club team in history and how they were able to essentially maximize and keep consistency within their success. And then my second book, uh, Become Your Best, Mastering Confidence, that is... Uh, what should be on everybody's nightstand, I think. And you can go to com slash books. It's also available on Amazon. Oh,
0: that's awesome. And, you know, I always ask our guests because the podcast is actually called Confessions from the Sidelines. Mm-hmm. What is your favorite memory of standing on the sidelines?
1: Gosh, that's a really good question. My favorite memory of standing on the sidelines is being in a professional match in Argentina and watching this guy named Joran Jovanovic, he was a uh, right side player on our team. And we were playing what's called like a Sev Cup match, which is uh, it's like the European championships. Mm-hmm. And so this guy is the guy who comes to practice every day early and hits serves and stays late every day and hits serves. And I would just watch his process and he'd make like a lot of errors. You know, he's a high high reward, high risk person, but he'd make a lot of errors. And we were down in this match one time. The score was nine to 14 in a fifth set playing to 15. And our team sides out to get 10. He goes back to the service line. And I remember like it was yesterday in my head, like the crowd was like super alive, like super into it. And for their team, like we were in Argentina playing this team for their team. And they like thought they had it in the bag. And this guy goes back and reels off six straight aces. To oh my win gosh. The match six straight aces, not like, okay, ace. And then, oh, there's a rally and we get a stuff, but like aces like bang, 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 like shoot them down movie style. And I remember like looking at that and that was such like the live real life visual of that's what preparation does. Preparation gives you the opportunity to be able to have success. So watching that live, I was like, man, to be able to pull that off, like was a big deal. And this was not like small time, like middle school. It's like professional (laughs) European championship volleyball. Like it was pretty impressive.
0: That's an amazing story. Like, and I think you just said that you remember it so vividly. And there's so many things that we remember standing on the sidelines. So thank you so much for sharing that with us.
1: No doubt. It's been such an awesome conversation.
0: Yeah. And thank you so much for being here with us today. And we'll make sure to include all of those links about Chris's book and his social media handles and his website so that you guys can get in contact with him.
1: Perfect. Appreciate you, everybody watching this. Really appreciate you guys watching and check out more of her episodes.
0: Yeah. Thanks so much. See ya. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Confessions of the Sidelines. Isn't it great to hear all the stories of what it takes to become a collegiate athlete? Just know, you are not out there doing all of this on your own. There is a huge support group that is cheering you on as you try to take your athletic game to the next level. And if you're not a student athlete, but you know of a student athlete, be sure to share this show with them so that they can get all of these tips and tricks as they navigate becoming a collegiate athlete. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. And until next time, I'll I'll be cheering you on from the sidelines.